We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This thing on? See, now I'm getting mad. Because it's getting ready to be on. I want my whiskey to bite me a little bit. This is the kind of psychopath that I hang out with. I got beat up outside of a Denny's. The Rockpile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. He likes to get in his nose. Something I can't do with this podcast because I drink too much. Chris Kruger. My rollerblading blonde mohawk producer. The pettiest, hardest drinking Bills podcast. I'm an adult. I know what I'm about. to another edition of the Rock Power Report Podcast. I'm your host, Dr- Bill Season Ticket Older Drew here. That's my producer, Chris Krueger. And we are back with your Week 2 Preview Show. The Buffalo Bills at the Miami Dolphins. In typical on-to-Cincinnati fashion, we're going to forget about what happened last weekend and move on with our lives as we go down to South Beach to take on those losers in Teal. Chris, can we both agree? Like you're you're you are our resident fashionista here on the Rockpile Report. Um, what does teal go with? I well, does go with orange. I, I will tell you. And this is this is this happened in I think seventeen, and I've never done it again because of Kyle Fahey. I think I put on either Instagram or on Twitter. I went to Syracuse to see Bobby Kelly, and I wore like a lighter blue shirt that looked like Dolphins color, and I had a tie with a lot of orange in it. Oh, and then no. Kyle Fahey was like, it looks like Dolphins colors. Never worn that again. <laughs> Thrown it away. Never. <laughs> Burned it. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't. Did not realize my mistake until it was pointed out by a sixteen-year-old. <laughs> That sounds like the worst way to die on social media, having a 16-year-old point out, literally someone ha- less than half your age point out your critical mistakes. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> the Buffalo Bills at the Miami Dolphins, folks. Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Standard, the place, Hard Rock Stadium, Miami, Florida. The crew, it's a Fox broadcast, which is weird to me because usually daytime... Like AFC games, Chris. Am I wrong here? No, AFC games go to CBS. Yeah, it's uh, NFC games go to Fox, and then if they split it, like if it's well, a, probably if it's a half and a half, they split the difference. Like last year when we played Seattle at home, but it was a Fox broadcast. Yeah, that would be uh, if it's a if it's interdivision games, it's or interconference games. If Seattle comes here, that game's on Fox. 
if we go to a West Coast team, generally that game's going to be on CBS. But because of the Thursday night schedule and the flexing on Sunday night, they've kind of loosened the rules on on that. But for Sunday, Sal, Sal Capaccio usually gets it pretty early. This is, for a, a huge division matchup like this, it, Brandon Gauden, Matt Millen, and Sarah Custock. Wait, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. Did you just say Matt Millen? Correct. Matt, I should be hanged for crimes against football Millen? Yes, that Matt Millen. Is- I don't understand how Detroit didn't set that man on fire. That man is going to oh be the God. analyst. Like, when they walked into his office and said, you're fired, he goes, he goes, okay, I understand. They're like, no, you, you actually don't understand. We're building the player out in the parking lot. The whole fan base is here. Like, we have to end this. Yeah, Matt Millen. Analyst for Sunday, get the ready. The things he did to the Detroit Lions should have gotten him at least a year or two in Guantanamo. Yeah. Jesus. That's our crew. And the line is the Buffalo Bills minus three and a half. Now, the injuries. There's really not much to report from the Buffalo front. Star Lutule is probably going to come into this as questionable again this week with the calf injury. Um Isaiah McKenzie, I mean, I took a look. I went over to bangedupbills.com, and I don't know. I mean, I saw Isaiah McKenzie got hurt in-game, left the field without pads, finished the game. It it seemed like he was going to be okay. Now, he might be okay. Maybe they decide to play it safe, but, Chris, they don't have anybody else as a returner, so I don't feel like that's an option. Yeah. I mean, whoa, whoa. Well, no, no, they do have our uh, special teams running back. What's his name? Uh, the guy McDermott loves, but never lets touch the ball on offense. I don't know. Four Drawing string, a blank. Four string running back. Call, Call in if you know. <laughs> Call in if you know. It enrages people. I talked to people this weekend at the game. They said it's enraging that we keep saying that like we're sincere. Yeah. Call in if you know. So now you know I'm going to do it. Uh, Gabe Davis apparently has a right hip injury. Now. It's just a, you got to keep an eye on the practice thing. Maybe it's just a bruise. Emmanuel Sanders, okay, he was questionable with a foot injury. I don't know. I don't know what to make of that. And then Teron Johnson with his right hand. Uh, it was wrapped up for the Steelers game. It'll be interesting to see how long that takes to come off. But it didn't seem like it limited his effectiveness. He was pretty good in that football game. For the Dolphins, they've got one pretty significant uh, departure. Defensive tackle Raquan Davis, who is very good against the run, gets a knee injury and immediately goes to IR. I I have it, you know, I've heard from someone who knows someone who maybe knows a thing or two that it looks like it could be season-ending. It'll be interesting to see how all the testing comes back this week. And wide receiver Preston Williams. Chris, do you, I'm old enough to remember when Preston Williams... When Dolphins fans around the world were telling us all that Preston Williams was this gem that they unearthed for, as an undrafted free agent rookie and that he was the reason their offense would never, they'd never have to spend money on a wide receiver because he's found gold. And then they went out and had to get Will Fuller because he's been hurt so much. And now he starts the season missing his first game. He's probably going to be questionable with his ankle injury all week. When I look at the, this game, just to preface this conversation, this is a big one, especially in the wake of last weekend's disappointing loss to the Pittsburgh Steelers. And it's a funny thing, these matchups with the Dolphins, because I, I, mean, I hate the Patriots. 
Everybody knows that. I hit him with a white hot passion. Mostly because it was demoralizing the way that they beat us year after year after year. And that they seemed to relish doing, like, finding new embarrassing ways to do it. Like, hey, this is the game where we're going to let LeGarrette Blunt loose on the Bills' defense once they're good and demoralized. Like, they know they're not going to win because their offense sucks. So their defense is going to quit. And then we're going to put LeGarrette Blunt in on kick returns. And he's just going to start mowing people down like Mongo in Blazing Saddles. Like, I... (sighs) In that way, knowing who we are, you'd think that that would set the bar for my hatred against an AFC East opponent. And at the same time, I equally enjoy watching Miami eat crap, thanks to Brian Cox and those stupid middle fingers. I, I've already seen the gifts on Twitter, and I got to tell you, my, my fists clench almost involuntarily when I see him. I remember preteen Drew Gear crying hot, angry tears over the concept that Brian Cox didn't get arrested for flipping everybody in our stadium off, and then the Miami Dolphins went on to win that damn football game. This is... Literal years of domination can't fix that. I still hate that guy. I I rooted against his son. His... I was rooting against the Panthers because his son was on their roster. Chris, do I get put into the running for player hater of the year? Yeah, you do. That's that is. Or, or like God, uh, like God. Uh, you have gotten your PhD. <laughs> or like God. Uh, well, what is it? Uh, what they call the uh, comedian died of diabetes, uh, heart disease, diabetes. Patrice O'Neill. Okay. That player hater sketch. He won the award for most likely to gain weight and die. <laughs> it's like whoa. That's uh, in retrospect, that was pretty spot on. I almost feel like I could be given that award. I could win that one too. On top of player hater of the year. But I'll tell you, it's done me a lot of good this last three, four years watching Josh Allen dominate the Miami Dolphins. And yet I'm still chomping at the bit for more because I'm petty. Now, Chris, Allen really truly has had his way with the Miami franchise. And just to illustrate that, I have a chart. Oh, yeah, I was looking at it earlier. (laughs) Folks, I keep a I keep a Excel spreadsheet that is the game logs of Josh Allen for his entire career because it makes things searchable, it makes it filterable, it makes data analysis really f- easy and fun. Chris, tell the people some of the totals at the bottom of this screen, like the the, the, the chart that I sent you, where I totaled results, yardage, the scores. Yeah, he's uh, five and one. In its last uh, six games against the... It's only six games. Okay, it's only six games against the Dolphins. First game ever against the Dolphins was a loss. But you can see that... um, What I like is the completion percentage stats. So from the first game up until the last one that he had uh, last year... 54, 65, 61, 63, 68, 72. 68 and 72 last year. Yeah. Yeah, and he was seven touchdowns and one pick combined for both games last year. I, he he is Miami's daddy. Oh, it's bad. It's gotten really bad. In his only loss, his best offensive player was Zay Jones. A nightmare unto itself that, I mean, congratulations to the Raiders for making Zay Jones relevant again. But hopefully we as Bills fans never have to relive that. A whole episode of what that skill department was in Josh Allen's rookie year for a very, very long time. 
And even in that game, he managed to pull the Bills to within a single score and had a shot to win it at the end of the game. Since then, it's been pretty smooth sailing, averaging 258 yards passing per game. Most recently, throwing for 224 in just a single half of football. Now, they've accomplished this. And yet, every, every year, we hear all about how this iteration, this insert year here's iteration of the Miami Dolphins football team is going to be, quote-unquote, the one to win the AFC East. And yet, it sucks because for as much as I'd like to kick shit all over that, it's the Dolphins that are currently sitting atop the division right now, not the Bills. It's weird, right? That's only one week. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So because with all of that in mind, this matchup, it's pretty pivotal one with a lot at stake for the Buffalo Bills here, which... Chris, it's weird. I didn't expect this to be here at week two, right? Yeah, in the basement. Like, talking about must-win games, uh, talking about fourth place in the AFC East. I did not expect to be here having this conversation. But considering the magnitude of this game, it's an important one. And so for this preview conversation, we've had one of a guy who's quickly become one of our favorite Dolphins personalities to talk to, Mr. Alfartiaga from Three Yards Per Carry. How are you, sir? Uh, I'm doing great. I'm in first place. <laughs> Rub it in. Rub it in. <laughs> for those of you listening to this for the first time, those of you who haven't yet decided to check out the AFC's roundup, Elf Artiaga is the host of the Three Yards Per Carry podcast. He's a mainstay of the AFC East Roundup podcast. He's also a cigar aficionado. Okay, And this is one thing I've got to ask you. What's your favorite stick? Uh, it's a San Cristobal Quintessence, and I like it in Robusto. So <laughs> Robusto, yeah, that's a that's a, it's made by Ashton that cigar, but um, the uh, what do they call the uh, the guy who created is Pepin Garcia, and his line of San Cristobal's are all great, but I think that one's the best, <laughs> and it has to be in Robusto because if you get it in Epicure, it's just not that good. And what's your favorite cocktail to pair with a nice cigar? Uh, just a like a bourbon neat, but if you're gonna mix it, I guess a bourbon with a little ginger and a little lime. That's it. Chris, he's he's incredibly too classy to be talking to us. <laughs> yeah, he can come over here. I'll give him some bourbon. I got a bunch on the wall there, and I also have ginger syrup and oh, lime. Yeah, Chris, you don't know this, but Chris's new obsession is craft cocktails, and he's gotten a little ca- to say he's gotten a little carried away. He's a single guy. With an apartment here, and I'm looking at what? How many bottles? Fourteen bottles of bourbon you have open right now? Yeah, 
Yeah, it's he's got a problem. In some places they call it a problem. He's referring to it as a hobby. Correct. But so for our listeners at home, you kind of get the idea. Elf, Elf is a very worldly man. He understands things. He's he, he's like uh, Ron Burgundy of Dolphins podcasting. It's pretty great. And I, I do I, I fall in love with our conversations. And so he's here tonight for our preview show for the Rockpile Report to walk us through this upcoming game. And I want to start on the offensive side of the football. Now a lot got made in the preseason about the changes that the Dolphins underwent this offseason. Most notably, I think probably the offensive coordinator tandem and this new playbook that in theory would open things up and promote more scoring, you know, bring back flashes of what Dolphins fans saw from Miami in that Arizona Cardinals game compared to what they saw 10 of the other weeks of the season. But after week one, I don't know, there's some things I'm looking at from that Patriots game that considering the way our defense played last week, we as fans, it piques my interest. And so I want to pick your brain about it. Now, first of all, when I look at just stat lines, first and foremost, I, the thing that jumps out to me isn't even anything to do with Tua, but Mike Gesicki with two targets and no catches. Was that game script or was that just happen? I mean, what happened with that? I had to do a lot with what the, the Patriots were doing. The Patriots were were actually playing a lot of deep coverages, trying to take away the deep ball, and especially after the first drive, because I don't know if you looked at how the Dolphins scored, but they scored on their first possession of the game. They drove it 80 yards, they got a touchdown. And then they scored on their first possession of the second half. They got the opening kickoff and drove it 75 yards and a touchdown. So... The rest of the game, when they had to go off script, when they had to actually call plays on the fly, I thought, personally, and this is just me talking, but I think we tend to agree on the the podcast. I think Chris Kaufman also agrees with me. I thought the Patriots had a a really good game plan defensively, and I made a joke about it. I didn't want to feed the conspiracy theorists, but I don't know if you knew that Malcolm Perry went to New England, that he got signed Uh, by New England the week... And we were joking that he kind of he must have folded under questioning because <laughs> they seemed a step ahead of us the entire game. Like they figured stuff out when we went empty one time and they had the perfect coverage to snuff out Savan Ahmed as a wide receiver. They put a corner on him. They seemed to know everything we were attempting to do to them. Even then we got the win, so you got to be happy about that. But I felt like if you're gonna if you're gonna put a bow on it, I would say the Patriots' defensive staff outcoached the Dolphins' offensive staff, and I would just say the whole coaching staff. I thought Bill Belichick had a good game. Josh McDaniels also had a great game in that in that game. So this is one thing that jumps out to me because you, I hear you saying this, and I'm thinking to myself, okay. Their defense, because I I watched a solid chunk of the game once we got home, got everything unloaded. I'm just hanging out, (laughs) drying out, I think is probably the better term for it, (laughs) after we got back from the stadium. So I'm watching this and I'm thinking to myself, last week the Bills spent most of the game blanketing the wide receivers from Pittsburgh. Just from a standpoint of separation and available cushion, the, the numbers speak to that. And in order to manufacture just 188 yards passing, Big Ben finished second among all quarterbacks in the NFL in aggressive pass percentage, which means he's throwing into tight windows 
more than almost every other quarterback in the entire league last week against us just to manufacture 188 yards. So I was interested to see that Tua finished fourth in the NFL in that metric against the Patriots. And Do you think that that aggressiveness changes knowing that the mistakes can be magnified considering the strong passing abilities and quick strike abilities of the Bills offense? I mean, when you're... I, I, a, Part of me, I feel like it's easier to play with an aggressive style like that and to challenge windows and things of that nature when you know on the other side of the ball, hey, our defense can probably do enough to slow that attack down. Whereas you've seen what the Bills do historically against the Miami Dolphins. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, I thought uh, the game plan on the Miami side was extremely aggressive. And Bill Belichick seemed to know this. And I don't know if you saw the stat that I that I uh, retweeted earlier, but Patrick Mahomes had an average depth of target of 9.2 yards, I believe. Who had an average depth of target of 10.7 yards. He took six deep shots in that game against <laughs> New England, completed three of them. So aggression was not a problem. He also had one right before the half where Jalen Mills – just gets just gets a fingertip on it. I don't know if you saw it on a deep ball to Albert Wilson. Mm-hmm. He doesn't get his finger on that. That's another touchdown, another deep ball. So he hit the thirty-six yarder to Waddle. He hit the the thirty-two yarder to Parker, and I believe he hit another twenty-eight yarder to to Parker as well over the middle. So see, yeah, the funny. aggression. Well, I was going to say, what's funny to me about that is that that's something that almost seemed like it was wholly non-existent in your playbook last year. You yeah, guys, it's, it's completely different this year. And, and a lot of that has to do with the fact that the old offense was designed for Ryan Fitzpatrick, a guy who I know everybody here in Buffalo loves him, but he's not known for his arm strength. So you wouldn't try that. Now that you have to, uh, maybe that changes. But do you think that knowing that the Bills offense can score, they? how do you anticipate? Do you think they come out as aggressive as they did on Sunday against the Patriots? I think that it's it calls for for some changes, and when you haven't had any success, I asked this week some guy, some guy was was trying to hit me up on Twitter and saying, oh, you know, so so how do you defend Josh Allen, and you know, what are you going to do against Josh Allen this coming week? And I was like, I don't know, and if I knew, I would call Brian Flores and say, hey, you know, try <laughs> this maybe, because you haven't seen it, right? Like if you haven't seen something happen, you can't really count on it or bank on it right but i would say maybe this is the way to go just be uber aggressive even in this game when they get the fumble when xavier howard and by the way thank god they paid that guy the extra two million dollars he was asking for because he's worth every single penny after xavier howard gets that fumble strips damian harris of the ball and the Dolphins are backed up. I don't know if you saw their last sequence trying to get a first down. Tua runs for 12 yards, gets a first down, but we get a holding call. And now we're backed up at our own five-yard line. They ran an RPO, which was essentially a fake RPO. They made it look like they were running a counter tray. And Tua throws backside for a 15-yard strike to Devontae Parker from his own end zone with the game on the line. <laughs> Completes it. They get a first down by sneaking it with Brissett, and the game is over. I did so, see that. No, that sequence, I remember watching it because there's a part of me, I'm like, there's no way. The, the Patriots don't just fumble away victories on the doorstep. That's not a thing that happens. 
So I was shocked to see that the Dolphins pulled this one out. Now, there's an interesting, I guess it's a, I don't even know what you're, a procedural thing here that I'm looking at when it comes to the structure of the plays and the success that the Miami offense ran. And I just want to know if you, because I know you have a yard work series that you, you've done historically over on YouTube. You dig into some of the X's and O's because you have, an, you have a touch for that stuff. So I'm looking at a tweet from Hassan Patel from over at Finn Maniacs, who he's a guy who I've done shows with in the past. And he broke down, he's getting into this whole analytics thing. He's starting to scratch that itch and he's learning. And so he kind of trotted out, here's all the different personnel groupings the Dolphins used against the Patriots. And I saw some things that I thought were odd. Uh, When you guys went 13 personnel, 100% success rate in terms of EPA. So these are positive plays that... In a vacuum, I mean, it's a, it's a fancy term that I'll explain to our listeners later. But for 13 personnel, 100% success rate on four plays. 21 personnel, 100% success rate on one play. 11 personnel, which is something the Bills run a lot of, had just a 36% success rate with three wide receivers on the field. But when they went 12 personnel with dual tight ends, it was a 74% success rate, which those two formations made up the bulk of what they put on the field against the Patriots. Now, what was happening when the Dolphins went three wide that resulted in so little success in moving the ball compared to when they had the tight ends on the field? I think that with the tight ends on the field, I think Tua was finding a little bit more time and a little bit better protection. In 11 personnel, I think the Dolphins tend to try to get a little cute and try to push the ball deeper down the field and with more elaborate route combinations. And I think that's when Tua starts to feel a little bit more pressure. So if if they're going to learn anything from this game, I think they're going to they're gonna have to try to scheme up those deep shots a little bit differently this week than they did this past week. What, do you, what is it that worries you from a Miami fan and a Miami content producer's perspective when you're looking at a matchup against the Buffalo Bills and you say, okay, last week our 11 personnel packages didn't work that well. We did okay in 12 personnel, but the Bills' base defense with those three linebackers in there in the field, they're pretty strong. How do you anticipate them trying to attack that? I think that they're going to have to go a little bit out of the box and – they're going to have to try to make that those three wide receiver sets work because I don't know if you're aware, but Will Fuller is going to be active for this week. Mm-hmm. He's going to play. So I guess he'll replace Albert Wilson, which was odd that Albert Wilson really only got, I believe he had two targets. And the two targets, one, he almost got the touchdown on, and then the other was on that ill-fated interception toward the end of the game. So they're going to have to make that those three wide receiver sets work. We were very happy with what Devontae Parker gave us. And Jalen Waddle looked great as a rookie. So now it's time to put them all to work. There's a reason they're paying Will Fuller almost $12 million for this season. So yeah. might as now, well put him on the field and see what he has, right? Oh, for sure. No, I anticipate seeing a lot of him used on some of those deeper routes, some of the deep crosses, some, just maybe some... Oh, my God. I'm just trying to think of all the different ways he's been used in the past, and I think he's the most effective when he gets downfield. I'm interested, how did they use Waddle? Like what, so now that you've gotten to see it in a real game scenario, what does it seem like the most likely place for Waddle to be lined up might be? Uh, he's the slot guy. Yeah, they use him almost exactly how you guys use Cole Beasley, except for one wrinkle. They throw him the ball deep out of the slot. So they try to engineer 
they try to engineer route combinations in a way where they'll hit you with one crosser, then they hit you with the RPO on the slant with Waddle, then they give you the same exact look, but this time Waddle slips his corner and tries to take him deep. So they try to pick their spot. It's mostly it looks almost like as if it's an option thing. Like they're looking for the right coverage for Waddle to just take it deep. And in this game, he did it once. And he did it again and then actually dropped the ball. But the one time he did, he did catch the fade for 36 yards. So it seemed to work for him. He had a good game. Uh, Jalen Waddle, except for that one drop, which was really noticeable because it was a big drop. It was on a big conversion. It was third and 14. And the play was going to go for at least 30 yards. So he makes that catch. He has a 100-yard receiving day. So... And a touchdown, so you can't complain, right? No, and it's interesting hearing that because that sounds like, Chris, that sounds a lot like what the Bills currently do with Gabe Davis. Yeah. It's just weird hearing that they're doing it with a guy who's under six feet tall and Gabe Davis is, what, 6'4"? Something like that. So it's an interesting thing that we're going to have to keep an eye on because I'm most, I think most Bills fans are really concerned about what's going to happen in terms of how you guys attack the CB2 spot. We have a real problem. I think... I think our coaching, and maybe it's not a real problem, maybe it's just they had a bad week, but our coaching staff might have overestimated a little bit what the coverage abilities of Levi Wallace and Dane Jackson were, filling that CB2 role. So when it comes to playing boundary corner, who do you think is most often going to be lined up across from the person not being shadowed by Trey White? Hmm, that's a good question, right? I have no idea, really. <laughs> no, well, I really, and I guess here's the question, and there's no way to answer it because Will Fuller hasn't been seen. I, I guess it's it's going to be interesting to find out what they do. Is Will I mean, Will Fuller's primarily going to be a boundary wide receiver for you guys? Correct. I believe so. I believe so because everything and everything that I've seen from this team in in practice, in camp, and in the preseason seems to be built around Jalen Waddle in the slot doing a lot of slot things. And then trying to get tricky out of there with Jalen Waddle in the slot. So, obviously, Will Fuller has to occupy safeties for Jalen Waddle to have the middle of the field for him, for him to try to beat linebackers and beat safeties and beat nickel corners for big games, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Will Fuller, I would hope, is going to be on the boundary. And yeah. Parker was exclusively on the boundary this past week. So, Chris, so it sounds an awful that's lot That's a change like, from last year. It sounds like it's probably going to be a lot of Devontae Parker – and Will Fuller against somebody who played a. It doesn't matter who, what side of the field Trey White's operating on. It sounds like whoever's outside that that's a worry spot for me. I yeah, because of Levi and those guys. Just they're they're smaller cornerbacks who are a little bit light. They don't play with the most physicality, and I think everybody got carried away with the Dane Jackson love fest when he covered uh, DeAndre Hopkins successfully for a small portion of a game against the Cardinals last year. I think the reality is, is it is happens to most seventh round and undrafted free agent type players. You come back to earth once players, the best wide receivers are going to set you up. You know, people were mad this past week about how, why did our offensive line do so well last year against Pittsburgh? And why did they suck? So and it's like, well, wait a minute. You're talking about Cam Hayward and TJ Watt. They will study the hell out of this, out of you as a player. You won't, you, that's what makes them great is that you won't get them every time. 
especially if you haven't changed anything. If your game is what it is, TJ Watt got beat one, like a drum one game. You will not corral him that same way the next time because now he'll, he'll know your tells. He knows how to play you. He'll practice for it. It's So it's going to be interesting to see how you guys find ways to expose what is a pretty big flaw in the Bills' defense right now. And on your offensive line, you mentioned that the a lot of the three wide receiver stuff struggles a little bit because of the protections not quite as good as it was when you had multiple tight ends. Austin Jackson's coming back into the lineup. He's going to be activated off the COVID reserve list. Eichenberg's going to get kicked out to right tackle. When you see that and you say, okay, our bookends are Eichenberg, a rookie, Austin Jackson, a, a sophomore player who probably needed... <laughs> I'm trying to find a nice way to say it. I'm trying not to shit on your guy, Elf. That's what I'm trying to do here. But he needed work coming out of last season into this season. What weak links in pass protection do you foresee there being that the, you're worried the Bills are going to take advantage of? Well, I believe Jesse Davis will play at right tackle. He played this past week. Now, here's the weird thing. Liam Eikenberg played an entire game at left tackle for the first time in all of camp. Never play left tackle in camp. Never play left tackle in preseason either. They play him in week one against the New England Patriots. He had to he had to face Lawrence Guy. He had to face Kavanoi off the edge. He had to face Matthew Judon off the edge. <laughs> he allowed one pressure the entire game. Now the one pressure he allowed was a hit on on Tuatunga Valoa. But I don't know if you saw the play. Uh, Solomon Kinley actually tripped Liam Eikenberg. Josh Uchi ran him over. And then hit Tua. So it looked like Josh Ushi murdered Liam Eikenberg, but he really did it. He was just tripped. So my fear is why change something that actually did work? I would train Austin Jackson at right tackle and just keep Liam Eikenberg where he just finished having a decent game in his first outing. But they're going with Austin Jackson at left tackle and Jesse Davis at right tackle. And Liam Eikenberg is going back to the bench as the swing tackle, at least for now. They tend to change their mind very often, so how, we shall see on Sunday. How nervous does that make you, knowing that the guys that they're going up against are, again, veteran pass rushers, Mario Addison, Jerry Hughes, uh, Greg Rousseau, who he had a decent game. I mean, he, it was a quiet game, kind of what you expected of a rookie who was drafted 30th overall. But you've got depth there at the defensive end position for the Buffalo Bills, and you have last week's hero of the game for us, uh, Ed Oliver who was just a monster on the inside to, uh, for the defend, for the defensive line, they lived in the backfield. They blew up every... I mean, Najee Harris had didn't have anywhere near the coming out party the Steelers thought he might. And a lot of that hinged around the job that he and Harrison Phillips and the other guys in our defensive tackle room did. How, how confident are you looking at our defensive tackle group and your interior offensive line that you think they can keep us from doing enough to disrupt your offense well that's where the the good news comes uh speaking to the the dolphins coaches they they kept stressing this in the in preseason they kept saying you got to look at our offensive line a little bit differently than you normally look at an offensive line in the nfl and they were saying mostly most nfl offensive lines you're looking at them and you're like okay those tackles have to keep our quarterback upright they have to keep them clean on the Dolphins, you got to look at the two guards to keep Tua clean because, quite frankly, they just said, look, Tua's a smaller guy. you got to keep him clean up the middle. He needs that pocket to be able to step up into. 
So they talked up Robert Hunt all offseason that he was going to be a pro bowler. So far, you know, pretty decent first game. Solomon Kinley was actually really clean. And the guy that we were nervous about, Michael Dieter, had another clean game as well at center. So those three guys, I wouldn't call it, you know, that I wouldn't say that they're, you know, they're great and we've solved all our problems on the offensive line. But they're kind of on a hot streak. They've had about two preseason games and now the first game where up the middle they're relatively clean. And they do get some push on some run play. So Well it probably they made played well. it probably made Dolphins fans who didn't understand the Matt Scurra thing. Was like, wait a minute, why did we pay this guy if we're not gonna play him? It probably made everybody feel a lot better, didn't it? <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. everybody was pretty nervous because everybody's seen Michael Dieter here for two years. <laughs> but they never saw him but they never saw him at center. That's the thing. We originally had um uh when they first came in, they decided, okay, Michael Dieter's a left guard. Then we saw him at left guard, and we we're like, you know, that doesn't look that good. Then they said, okay, you know what? He's kind of a big guy, so let's play him at right guard. And Chris Kaufman on our podcast kept saying for two years, why don't they try this guy at center? He was good at center at Wisconsin. Well, this year they did. <laughs> and evidently, he's okay. He's pretty good at center. So he's so. good. Kinley's a monster. Um, Hunt, is in the, Hunt is an ascending talent. Where is the weak link on this offensive line that the Buffalo Bills might be able to exploit? Well, you, you've you've mentioned it. It's Austin Jackson and Jesse Davis. Now, Jesse Davis, I keep saying this to everybody and everybody that asks. If Jesse Davis is your sixth offensive lineman, you you got to feel pretty good about what you have. Because Jesse Davis can play every position on the offensive line, and he has played every single position on the offensive line. He's played left and right tackle. He's played both guard spots. And he's even a backup center, although this year we, we already have a backup center, so he doesn't have to do that. But he was last year. So you're talking about a guy who's really versatile. I just don't like him as a, as a starter. He makes noticeable mistakes. The big, the big hit that Tua took, were, I, I, I was surprised that he just stood up right away from it. When Matthew Judon just absolutely blasted him late in that game, that was on Jesse Davis who let his man go. You know, so, you know, he makes me nervous. Our tackles make me nervous. Oddly enough, the rookie, Liam Eikenberg, was the one that didn't make me very nervous. (laughs) He made you feel good about it, and they're going to put him on the bench. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I don't get that. But you never know, like I said, with this this coaching staff, they all offseason we were wondering, Nick Needham has been great. Why do they keep burying him in the depth chart in favor of Justin Coleman, who was also good, right? Well, going into the game on Sunday, Nick Needham was listed as a backup boundary corner, nowhere to be found as a nickel corner. Guess what? He played every single snap except two in the nickel, and Justin Coleman played two snaps total. So, so maybe there's the a little games- meant absolutely nothing. So maybe that's a little gamesmanship where they thought they could maybe get one over on Bilicek, which I actually I can appreciate that because I'm I'm a petty man. I like gamesmanship. Uh, uh, Richard Petty. If you ain't rubbing, you ain't racing. If you're not cheating, you're not trying. That's it. I, I, I like that. But so, speaking of the defense, I, we get this new-look offense on tap for the matchup for the Bills this weekend, and that's great. But in reality, when you go back over the history of these two teams since Brian Flores got there, or in, more accurately, since Josh Allen got there, it wasn't ever the offense that was the problem. 
I mean, the only time that the Dolphins have held an Allen-led squad to under 225 yards passing, he ran for almost 100 yards and two touchdowns in that blowout win. That was the last game you ever saw Gase on a Miami sideline. I mean, you guys almost, it's almost like you guys needed to send him flowers because he was the one who really, like, put the last shovel of dirt on Gase's grave down there in Miami. His high-efficiency passing, it's, that's the thing that gets me, is when I see how even when he was struggling as a young quarterback, his completion percentages were always strong against the Miami Dolphins. And under Flores, you guys have allowed Buffalo to average 38.7 points per game, and he's got just 20 total, 20 total scores against just four turnovers in six games. That's yeah. That's, that's why. That's why absurd. nothing that just happened this past Sunday matters because <laughs> I thought the Dolphins played, and I know people are going to say, "Oh, you know, they gave up a hundred yards rushing to Damian Harris." Well, they gave up thirty-five yards on the first play of the game. <laughs> they gave up. 90 yards on 29 carries the rest of the game for 3.1 yards per carry. So they stopped the run the rest of the game. Okay? Now, Mac Jones got that one touchdown to Nelson Aguilar. Nobody tells you what happened the play before that touchdown. No. It was third and 10, and he was sacked for a 12-yard loss. Oh! That was the play! Oh, no! Yes. I did see that. That's hysterical. I saw it on the replay, and I, I thought to myself, I messaged Travis Wingfield, and I almost messaged you, too, because this is the thought that went through my head. I'm like, I wish I had a time machine and I could go back and see these guys' faces. <laughs> yes. Can you imagine it's third and 10, and now all of a sudden it's third and 23, and if they want points, they got to kick a 54-yard field goal. But no, there's a penalty. <laughs> and instead of a 54-yard field goal try on, third and, on fourth and 23, it's now first and goal at the five-yard line. A 25-yard swing on what was a great play it was by Landon Roberts. It was one of those plays where the flag came out so... Chris, we've gotten used to seeing us playing the Patriots. Mm-hmm. Oh, somebody plowed into Brady. Look, we disrupted this pass. Awesome. Wait, what? What? Where'd that flag come from? Oh, the back judge threw it. Great. <laughs> You know, and I talked about this on Twitter. I went to the uh, the media doesn't really like going to these seminars, but I did two years ago when the NFL I, I camp they sent the head of officials to every single team, and they do a seminar and they explain to you all the rules. And it's pretty cool because you get to ask questions and I ask questions about this. And the guy explained to me, look, everything is at the discretion of the referee. If he thinks the guy can avoid hitting him low, then he's not going to throw the flag. If he thinks it's intentional, he's going to throw the flag. But I was telling, I, I made it very clear to the referee, you cannot expect the guy to be on the ground and say, okay, since I'm on the ground, I can't grab this guy's ankle, right? And the guy will say, no, no, you know, it's at the discretion of the referee. So if that's the letter Great. of the law, as from the head of the officials, then that was an awful call that cost the Dolphins a touchdown in that game. That's hilarious. So... I find it hilarious because I'm a petty. I'm a petty son of a bitch. So when we look at this up, upcoming matchup now, we're talking about the defense. Just trying to figure out how the Dolphins are going to game plan to slow us down. Given the makeup of what you have at cornerback, do you perceive? Do you think there's going to be more zone coverage or more man coverage? Because I mean, Pittsburgh made Buffalo really work for it, 
and limited a lot of our plays with a solid combination of man and zone. They kind of mixed their coverages and held our most explosive players in check throughout the course of the entire game to a degree I've never... Chris, I haven't seen. I mean, we, we talked about it last week during the last week, uh, yesterday during the reaction show. I, I've never seen somebody hold Stefan Diggs to that kind of output with that many targets. So, like, what is it that you foresee from a schematic standpoint as far as your coverage units go? Well, the Dolphins today got a little bit of bad news. I don't think it's gonna it's gonna impact our game that much, and that's Raekwon Davis is going on IR, so he's gonna be out for about three weeks. Uh, I don't think it's going to be that serious because it looked like it was really serious during the game. But then he was spotted on the sideline with his helmet on, and he did play after he had left the game with what looked like a serious knee injury. So he seems to be okay. But remember, they needed to make space to bring Will Fuller onto the roster. I guess they didn't want to cut anybody, but they can taxi guys on and off the IR. So he's going on IR for three weeks. He's extremely important for our run defense. So now I guess they're going to activate maybe Jabal Sheard. So they're going to have a little sleeker look. Against the Patriots, they used almost too much zone in the first half. And then in the second half, you could almost see, and Chris Kaufman mentioned it on our res, and Josh Boyer get a little bit nervous when it was getting a little bit too close for comfort. And it just started calling zero blitz after zero blitz after zero blitz. <laughs> and they allowed two field goals in the second half. So I guess you got you to gotta consider it worked, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you allow 10 points in the first half. You allow six in the second half. How did you allow six in the second half? Well, by blitzing on every single down. I think they're going to have to be a lot trickier against Josh Allen. Whatever they've tried so far hasn't worked. No. So everybody keeps asking me, what do you do? Well, I don't know. I mean, Until I, I see something work, I won't know what it is that will work. Well, one of the big things I noticed in your front seven is that when I looked at the pressure you guys were able to generate on Mac Jones, a lot of it came from the linebackers. And so that makes sense, mm-hmm. hearing that it was just a lot of zero blitzes, not, not a lot of coverage on the back end, because you know you have a young player who's going to struggle to make some of his reads, who's probably going to get a little overwhelmed, and with that much pressure in your face, you're mistake-prone. Whereas you're talking about a quarterback in Josh Allen who has seen it, and last year you watched him cruise through pressure like he wasn't there. The Pittsburgh Steelers beat us by using their linebackers to kind of, and again, that's one of the differences from last time we played them to this time. Their linebackers were, they had their starters, and their starters were playing very well. And they could use combinations of man and zone with their linebackers to keep guys like uh, Gabe Davis and Cole Beasley in check. I just wonder if you guys go with that same kind of aggressive approach, and that was kind of my thinking of asking this question. If your linebackers are so relied on to bring pressure that it's going to expose stuff like that, I can't imagine your team's going to switch to that same game plan. So instead, if you guys do get conservative, how are your linebackers in coverage? Well, Jerome Baker is really good in coverage, but he just had a, an awful game against the, the Patriots. He allowed a wheel route, and he allowed a couple other completions in the flat to James White. But that is James White, right? And I think the name of the game against the Buffalo Bills is, you know, if I don't know what, what combination of running backs you guys are going to trot out. I would guess that Singletary is going to play a lot, right? Oh, for sure, no. But it's going to be interesting because last week everyone wanted to set it. I personally wanted to set things on fire when I saw that Zach Moss was inactive just so that mm. they could give Matt Breda four carries. Yeah. <laughs> what? 
you know, it'll be interesting if Matt Breda, if this is the Matt Breda revenge game because yeah. he was here all year last year and they they absolutely despised him because they just wouldn't play him. I don't know why they wouldn't, but they just wouldn't play him. So maybe he's a factor. But I look at the Buffalo Bills and I just I just don't want your wide receivers catching the ball. So well, I would gear everything to putting as many people in coverage as I can, and then having somebody spy Josh Allen. And if you guys decide that you're going to run it 40 times to try to run it for 200 yards on us, we'll take our chances, right? Well, so, so like I said, so we, we haven't seen something work yet. So until <laughs> it does, until well, it does, and that's you know, where I, I can't really about, hang my hat on anything. And that's where I kind of, before we let you go, I want to talk about a couple, a couple pinpoints that I have here on my notes. First of all, the Bills ran more than 50% of their plays with four and five wide receiver sets. Mm. Now, New England didn't get anywhere close to that. So no, we don't know not. what that looks like in 2021 for your secondary. How confident are you in those tertiary and the fourth and the fifth option on your depth chart in terms of covering wide receivers and tight ends? Oh, I'd, I'd, I'd love it. I'd sign up for that right now because when you get past uh, Xavier Howard and, and Byron Jones, Nick Needham is – He's a budding star, and oddly enough, that's his nickname on the team, by the way. His nickname is Superstar, and that's Xavier Howard and Byron Jones that call him Superstar, okay? Because he, he carries himself like a guy who's, who's a number one corner, and he talks that way, and he has the play to back it up. Oddly enough, his worst game of the season last year was against Buffalo, against Isaiah McKenzie. And by the way, I can tell you something about Isaiah McKenzie. He has a barbecue joint down here. Oh no, La Trela. We we, we, we and actually, I went on Saturday. Did you? It is absolutely spectacular. Oh, I was talking. We uh, golongtd.com. He does happy hours, and I was part of one. And he had Isaiah McKenzie on, and I was asking him questions about his. Here, you get a chance to talk to an NFL football player, and I mean, we do enough with this, and just in life in general. Like I've talked to enough football players. We've done shows with John Fina. We talked to Reed. Chris produces Reed and Blake's podcast. Like, we talk to football players. So I guess some of the shine, and I grew up around a bunch of them, so it's just like some of the shine is worn off for me. So I sit down. I go on TD.com. He always does these Friday happy hours, and he gets different players. He had Richie Incognito on for one. <laughs> and I haven't seen it yet, but according to uh, – According to Ty, the, he goes, I usually re-release them, like on for our subscribers who couldn't be at happy hour. I'll re-release it around, you know, it's a big Zoom call. Everyone's just on it, and it's a free-for-all. It's whatever questions you feel like asking, whatever stories come up, whatever questions you get asked. And he will not release the Richie Incognito one for the general public. Because <laughs> shocking, right? But so yeah. I sat in on one of those with uh, Isaiah McKenzie, and the only questions I could think to ask him were barbecue-related. Because I'm just yeah. like, that's what I care about. I mean, you're just a dude. You're a dude who owns a barbecue joint. I want to know all about this. And he got a kick out of it. No, that's awesome. I'm, gl- I'm happy to hear it. Chris, forever in South Beach, that's where we're going. Yeah, you're going to find me in South Beach. <laughs> well, if, if you show up to South Beach trying to go to La Trela, you're going to be about... 30, 40, miles? 30 to 40 miles away from yeah. where the place actually is. I love saying South Beach and just how it's, it's we joke about it all the time. It's like the Niagara Falls for the Buffalo Bills. It's like, yeah, you're going to be about an hour away from where you should be. So apparently the depth of your secondary is something that you're you're pretty excited about. 
What about your pressure packages? Because here's the thing. We talked about how you guys were calling zero blitzes. Your linebackers were pretty much bringing the majority of the pressure. The Bills struggled really mightily against a three and four man rush of Pittsburgh, but they had the high. They have the highest paid D line D lineman in history. They've got a perennial Pro Bowler at defensive end at their disposal. Miami, Miami, you're not a bunch of slouches. A lot of up and coming talents, but nothing that's quite that proven. So. If we're talking about how you guys think you're going to manufacture pressure or who you guys are planning on attacking, I don't know. Where, where do you see them trying to generate their pressure against the Bills on Sunday? Well, they're going to use their buck packages. And it's you're talking about Jalen Phillips, Emmanuel Ogba, Andrew Van Ginkle, Brennan Scarlett, uh, Jerome Baker even, in, in, in their wide rushes. Uh, they had 16 pressures. Eight quarterback hits against Mac Jones. I will say this about Mac Jones. For as much as they hit him in that game, and they blasted him on certain plays, he showed a ton of poise, and he just kept getting rid of it. Now, he kept you know throwing four- and five-yard passes, but four yards is better than 12-yard losses, right? Mm-hmm. Or sack fumbles. So he showed a, a great amount of poise. If Josh Allen can manage to do that as well, that's a problem. But they're going to have to try to get home one-on-one without using so many pressure packages. Emmanuel Ogba, uh, everybody, he just finished having a great game against the Patriots. If he wants that big $90 million deal that he's talking about, he's going to have to start showing it against people like Josh Allen. So it's going to be really interesting to see what they cooked up this time because, like I said, nothing they've done so far has worked against Buffalo. I love it. I'm excited. Chris, I mean, one-on-one matchups in the offensive line I think will help in this game after the just absolute abomination we saw on Sunday against the Steelers. I'm excited. You're excited. I know Elf's excited because his team is in first place with a chance to take a 2-0 lead in the division for the first time in a long time. What's your prediction and where can people find all your upcoming work on social? Uh, my prediction is I have no idea what's going to happen <laughs> on Sunday. Early, like right? I said, it's impossible to pick them to win, right? I'll just say it'll be a close game either way, okay? If you want to press me on a, on a number and a winner and a loser, I'll say Buffalo kicks a field goal and they win it. And Dolphins get their heartbroken yet, yet again. And we'll be all tied at 1-1 in the division <laughs> after Sunday. But the only reason I'm saying that is because I have no evidence to the contrary to say that the Dolphins can win this game against Buffalo. So how can I pick them, right? Mm -hmm. I do feel the Dolphins are better. They're better equipped to take on the Bills, you know. Uh, But it's it's also, I don't think it's a good thing that the Bills played so poorly against the Steelers. Because I told my podcast mates, this could go one of two ways. It could either go great or it could go really, really bad. And I'll tell you why. This could be a great thing because maybe Josh Allen regressed to 2019. Or the Bills are going to come out really, really, really focused, and we're going to get uber Josh Allen. <laughs> but then Chris Kaufman actually brought it all down to earth. And he said, look, when Josh Allen, when we all thought that Josh Allen was terrible, he was still killing us. <laughs> so, so does it really, really even matter, right? It just matters to the rest of the league and maybe to the standings. So... 
you know, I, I have no idea what Josh Allen to expect. I, I think that was just a blip against the Steelers. You give up a block punt, that's a problem. And I watched almost all of that game. And in my opinion, uh, the Bills kind of dominated that game until they did it, right? Until you it's, weren't. You're winning all, right up all until hell you're not. broke loose about mid-third quarter. Yep. The Bills just stopped playing, in my opinion. And the Steelers just took over. Somebody dug deeper, and it was evident. No, I, I appreciate I appreciate your insights on that, and I, I I always appreciate talking to you, Elf. And I'll tell you what, I'm gonna have to get your uh, I'm gonna have to get you to build me a hierarchy of cigars for somebody who doesn't want to spend a small fortune on them. Like I'd like to mm-hmm. <laughs> I'd like to know what a good stick is, since I Chris, let's 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 call a spade a spade. I'm garbage. I don't have taste for these kinds of things. That's why you don't we really, have taste for a lot of things. It's why we rely on experts for a lot of the content that we produce. Well, I've smoked, I've smoked, I've smoked some really expensive cigars, and my favorite cigar, like I said, is a San Cristobal Quintessence, and that will run you about two hundred dollars for a box, which is pretty cheap. Really? Yeah. All right. Well, you and me if are going to. If you're going to compare it to a Bahique box, Bahique Cohiba Bahique is about a thousand dollars a box. If you're talking about a Padron box, that's about $600 a box. So a $200 box, not bad. It's 24 cigars for 200 bucks. That's about eight bucks a cigar. That's pretty good. Now you're speaking my language. Elf, if our listeners want to ask you questions about the Miami Dolphins, they want insight on what's going on in your side of the fence, or they just want to ask you questions about cigars, where can they find you on social and where's your podcast? I take all questions except those about Tua Tunga Bailoa at Alf underscore Artiaga and at of course at, at three yards per carry you could listen to us wherever you get your podcast. Alf Artiaga three yards per carry he's on Twitter at Alf underscore Artiaga always good stuff from you Alf. him at three the number three yards per carry. I, I love that guy. Chris I, I think that we've done a great job of cultivating guests don't you think? For the most part. <laughs> Wait, is there one or two you'd like to Shanghai somewhere in an island and leave them for dead? Yeah, there are. <laughs> yeah, there are. A, a couple of them. You'll, you guys will never know. As soon as this show's over, you and me are going to talk about it. It's going to be hilarious. A whole new group of inside jokes for our listeners. But so we, this is a big one. But it's not like the Bills are without opportunity, and it's not like our you heard it from Elf. Our opponents, it's not like they don't have anything to worry about. So with that in mind... It brings us to tonight's keys to victory. Wow, it's a lot of keys. Bigger the keychain, more powerful the man. Who else is feeling strong tonight? Because I am. The first key to victory for the Buffalo Bills is going to be establish the run efficiently. And I say that loud for those of you in the back who are... I I mean, I know. I freaking know that establish the run is a trope. It's old hat. It's something hacks who podcasts say. Or the geezers who call WGR. When I say establish the run, I'm not talking about this vintage 2000s run the ball 30 times a game style of Bill's offense. I'm talking about illustrating an ability and a willingness to run off tackle and off guard with a little bit of power and speed when situations call for it and to do so effectively and efficiently. A perfect example of this would be last week against Pittsburgh. Even for as angry as people, including... Some of us sitting here, some of us sitting here might have been about the play calling in general. 
Devin Singletary will never be known as a powerhouse running back or a household name whatsoever. I mean, I'm I'm willing to bet more than a Seagram's. I'm willing to bet a body part on that. Yet at the same time, he finished with the highest yards per attempt of all qualified running backs with six and a half yards per carry. Now, do I think that means he's better than Nick Chubb or Christian McCaffrey? Hell no. That's, that, that's crazy talk. But in a game with a turnover-hungry secondary and an offense a week removed from some mistakes born of overly aggressive play by our quarterback and coaching staff, Having a rushing attack that we can lean on to make hay on early downs when we decide not to pass on first down. And who in that way can kind of keep the linebackers' eyes trained at the line of scrimmage often enough that they're not dropping into support to pick up Cole Beasley, to pick up Gabe Davis, and rendering them ineffective. I mean, if we can do that, Davis and Beasley are going to be more than one first down and one touchdown collectively that they posted last week. And as a caveat to this, I, I think they gave Breda enough of a shot last week. <sighs> I mean, I guess I don't. I, I the, the whole thing is still stupid to me, and I swear to God. Chris, this is one of those conversations where I, like, I see my own notes, and I want to bite the neck of this bottle because I'm like, I still can't believe that I'm willing to try to understand the concept of let's make a guy we just drafted in the third round who holds... I mean, we talked about this. Why four carries? Four carries, one of which was a trick play that didn't work. Like what? Is that all you are as a gadget player, Matt Breda? Then why are you here? Oh, kind of like Isaiah McKenzie. You shut your mouth. Oh, look, I think they gave Breda his shot, but I need to see Zach Moss. And I say that because Breda will always have to live and die by speed and speed alone. But looking back at the yardage Damian Harris was able to gain against the Dolphins front seven, I mean, his first carry of the game went for 40 yards. His only runs for more than three to four yards per carry were off guard and off the offensive tackles inside shoulder, up through and past the linebackers. Who on our team is equipped to do that besides Devin Singletary? Sure as hell isn't Matt Breda. Zach Moss? Zach Moss. I want to see him active. I mean, it screams Zach Moss! And if we can replicate that, I think it's going to open them up for Josh Allen to be more efficient against that inside of their secondary. Their safeties aren't going to be able to take as many liberties. And at the same time, their linebackers are going to have to stay home and cheat a little bit less, which will give us more opportunities for those guys to make plays. Also, Ed Oliver and Harrison Phillips need to own the line of scrimmage. Ed Oliver had one of his best games as a professional last week. And Phillips had himself a decent game right alongside him. And the results speak for themselves if you listen back to last night's show to just how dismal Najee Harris's stat line was. I need to see more of that, both in terms of their disruption and their execution, as well as the same linebacker eye discipline. Remember last week one of our keys to victory was going to be don't fall for the eye candy? Don't yeah. fall for the eye candy. Matt Canada's offense is going to show you because the motion is just there to fool you. Well, you go to go to find Eric Turner on Twitter. He's got a couple plays that he cherry picked out that show exactly what I was talking about. I watched a couple of those plays. Looks like all twenty two has like some new angles. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that's what you get NFL for trying to be slick. There's a black market on all twenty two now. Look what you did. 
Look what you did. But either way, our linebackers did a great job of not getting fooled. And it paid dividends. I need these guys to do more of this domination up front, right? I need to see more of that because that was a huge part of it. The Dolphins didn't, I'll say this, they struggled with efficiency when trying to move the ball in three wide receiver sets. But when they went tight end heavy and played 12 personnel, like we talked about, it was their second most used alignment. And 74% of the plays that they ran out of it resulted in positive EPA rankings. Now, for those of you who don't know, that's a fancy sports nerd term for play that added value and expected points. The Bills are going to get suckered into playing a bunch of base defense on Sunday. They're going to line up two tight ends pretty often, which plays to the tight end heavy strength of the roster and the skill set of their quarterback. I mean, Chris, do you remember that game where with Tua, they beat the Patriots in Miami and they did it with all, I think they were missing all of their starting wide receivers. They had one going into the game. He got injured. Tua used nothing but tight ends and running backs to pass the ball and beat them. That's the strength of what he does well. Our defensive tackle's ability to win their matchups and be disruptive on early downs is going to force them out of those and into these less successful three and four wide receiver formations where it seems like they struggle to really get down route route combinations and scheme overall that's productive, at least for now. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's early on. Maybe they find their groove, but they don't have it yet. Let's get them there, and it starts with our two defensive tackles up front. Extended drives and third down conversions. Last week, this defense that everybody claimed had changed dramatically this offseason, mostly for the better, despite losing Shaq Lawson, Kyle Van Noy, and a bunch of other solid players, allowed a rookie quarterback. And, Chris, there's, how many star offensive players do you think New England has? Stars. Household names. Zero. Okay. They allowed that attack to go 11 for 16 on third down and dominate time of possession by 13 full minutes of play clock. It sounds crazy to hear that and then think Miami won. Right? Yeah. Okay. Now, I can't wait to talk to Mike Tabate tomorrow night about this in our uh, AFC's Roundup podcast that we're going to draw. Again, it'll actually, depending on when you listen to this, it's probably already out. Who knows? Who gives a shit? What I do know, the fact that Miami won is a sign that they're still dangerous enough to win against an offense led by a rookie with a mixed bag of skill players. If the Bills can be that efficient on third down and win the time of possession battle... I have no doubt that we're going to be able to score enough to make them one-dimensional the way we have multiple times over the last three years. And that's going to be huge in this matchup considering they're running back Miles Gaskin going up against a New England defense that everyone expects to be improved with the additions that they've made. He's fresh off a game where he averaged 5.4 yards per touch. He might be their secret weapon in this whole thing. The final key, and I think the one that, Chris, I think as you look at my notes, you could probably put an exclamation point on this one for me. Do you want to read it off for people? Interior offensive line needs to unfuck itself. Unfucking capital letters. <laughs> I've done the same things as all the smart people have, right? In regards to what happened to our offensive line last week. I watched the replays. I tried to look at some of our offensive guard play objectively. And I can't come up with any one singular thing to blame it on. Now, that's not because I don't understand football. 
It's more because watching that, I mean, this type of shit, it's like staring directly into the goddamn sun watching John Feliciano try to play in that game. He's seen rolling around on the ground multiple times, having blocked no one. His punches were late. His handwork was slow. I mean, Chris, you might have had a shot at getting past him at least once. I'll give That's it a try. how poor it was. His mechanics were a mess the entire game. He strikes me as a guy who might be too slow to play left guard. He's just not athletic enough for it. And that gives us a problem because now we have a roster full of right guards not a single person we can plug in next to Deion Dawkins. Mitch Morse, he was getting bullied. Errant quick throws and flushing Allen from the pocket. Cody Ford, I don't know exactly what he did wrong, but I'm assuming it's something. Chris, do you ever get that? Like, your dad didn't know who to blame for things being fucked up at home, and he comes home, and he goes, I don't know which one of you did it, but you're both in trouble. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One time I put a hole in the wall in the basement, and so my I had to fix it, but my dad turned the lock around. To lock people out of the basement? Okay, great. I'll go fix this considering I'm not allowed in the basement. How can I do that? <laughs> Did he lock you out because you broke the wall? Correct. And then I had to fix it. That's... We could only go in the basement when he was home. That's fucking hilarious. That's... Yeah. I love that. No, that's, that's genius. But so in that same way, Ford, I don't know what you did wrong... But the way things sucked, I'm sure you sucked too. The Dolphins don't have any premier pass rush talent on the edges or in the middle the way the, the, way the Pittsburgh Steelers did. And that should, in theory, free up our offensive tackles to give the offensive guards some assistance as well as make them more confident in playing like a cohesive unit. Don't get me wrong. Christian Wilkins, big, powerful man. But he's one man. And when I look at the pressures from last week against New England, it's like I was talking to Elf about. Most of their disruption was supplied by the linebackers, none of whom scare the hell out of me. This is a game where against non-elite front seven talent, the Bills' interior offensive line has to show that it can be the team we saw last year. You guys can be the unit. The five of you working together can go out there, execute a game plan, and work together to keep people out of Josh Allen's lap. If they can do that, then I have no doubt that our offense should be capable of making the types of plays that will make it difficult for Miami's offense to keep pace. I, That's it. I think if you can nail three out of four, maybe even half of these things, you probably have a better than a puncher's chance at winning this. If you nail all of them, we're not sitting here having another one of, like last night's recap conversation. We're not doing that again. So, Chris, your prediction for what you think is going to happen on Sunday. Uh, the Miami Dolphins are uh, owned by Josh Allen, and I have not seen anything to... Rather than trying to pick a score, what do you think about the spread? Since you're a resident gambler, three, under or over? Three, uh, well, the spread's... Are you taking them with three and a half? Three and a half. You heard I, Elf. He goes, maybe it's a late, late field goal. The Bills win again. I don't know. We've dominated Miami the last couple of years, and I don't see why that changes, and that's... Mostly the fan in me coming out, so I would I'm going to assume that we're going to win by a touchdown. So I think the Bills will cover the spread. Wow! All right, I having been there, having felt what I felt last week, and just being maybe that's it. Maybe I'm just like a kick dog now. I'm a little gun shy. I would not take the Bills minus three and a half, but I still think that this is 
until the much like Elf, until you prove to me you can beat me. I mean, Chris, the chart is damning. And anybody who wants to see it, go to at Rockpile Report. Chris, Chris is going to make up a fancy graphic, and we're going to tweet it out tonight. It's going to be a lot of fun. You're going to get to see, but, but the way he dominates them, I can't see that ending. I'm not ready to believe that this era of Josh Allen, even when he wasn't great, he was dominating the Miami Dolphins. I I will not believe that that's over. No. Not yet. No. But I will I will say one thing that's going to be people might disagree that uh depending on the weather and the temperature that I think the heat will be a problem and I say that the way the stadium is structured, one o'clock game, Bill's sideline has all of the sun. So they'll never not be in the sun. I it think I be. think heat and humidity could be a problem. It's usually a problem for New England when they play there in September. Yeah, but they're chumps. Yeah. They're chumps who don't know how to speak English. So I mean I don't that that doesn't su- surprise me. <laughs> oh God. I love it. I can't wait to see it. Huge shout out to Elf Artiaga for joining us. We got to get the hell out of here, guys. Make sure you tune in tomorrow night for the AFC East Roundup. We're not done. Chris, this three-show-a-week format's kind of nice. I know, right? I'm having a pigeonhole all listen to one show. Yeah, that's a huge, long... Because I've got shit to say. That's long and... Do you know how much it bothers me? I wake up. This is the mania of Drew Gear, folks. I'm breaking down the fourth wall for our listeners. 3 a.m. I wake up. I'm usually sweaty. I wake up. I'll go get some water. I'll take a piss. And as I'm standing there, the only thing going through my head is, oh, I could have made this point. What about this point in the podcast? I didn't do Oh, and then I'll text Chris and go, I blew it. And Chris texted yeah. me. <laughs> Every show is the worst show we've ever done, <laughs> according to Drew. He hates all of them. I like the fact that with three shows a week, I get more bites at the apple to make all my points. Mostly because, and let's face it, that's that's the narcissism, right? Yeah. <laughs> Plus, three for me, three shows a week gives us more money, more money to put back into the show, more money to buy more expensive equipment that we don't have to use our day job money for. That's what I like about it. I'm being honest. Don't cop to that. Come on. Terrible look. We look like Uncle Scrooge. Now, the reality is I'm sick and tired of waking up and not liking. I'm, I'm having to waterboard Chris with texts. About all the points that I missed and things I could have said and whatever. And then Chris, because he doesn't have a personality, just texts me back. Cool. Cool. Sweet. Awesome. Just one word answers, which is the most infuriating thing to a person who likes to debate things. I'm happy we can bring you guys multiple shows a week. It makes it easier on us. It makes it easier for him with his production schedule. It makes it hopefully better for you guys because as I was fielding text messages from people today talking about where are the podcasts because radio is crap today and I can't take any more of it. We're here for you. Three days a week, the Rock Pell Report podcast. It's going to be great, but we're going to get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. And this has been your Sunday Preview. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC member SIPC.